church across the parking lot done it one more time or not? I was just thinking, someday we're just going to do a, like a time lapse of the shop creating a set. I, I love just going over and watching them do this. But for Dale and uh, Dale Poor and Nate Kubish and all the wizards over there, we really appreciate them. Uh, this is our Christmas series. And I want to start by saying I've always loved Christmas cards. I don't know why. I've never been particularly artistic or anything. But when I was a kid growing up, I would be out at the mailbox every day pretty much just to see Christmas cards. I love the colors and the designs and the scenes, like the scene behind me. And uh, my mom, a lot of times, would display them in the house on the furniture. or She would put a string across the living room and hang the Christmas cards. Love that. I love that. And, and back in the day, people used to not only send a Christmas card, a lot of times they would send a story about the year. Perhaps they would just have a a blank piece of paper in there, and they would type up a story of what happened, you know, who got married, who got a new job, and, and that's great because back in the day, we didn't have social media. Today, you don't rely on Christmas cards for that because it's up there instantly and with all the pictures and everything, but back years ago, it was really nice to get a card from somebody that had a story in it about their year and maybe some pictures that kept us updated about what was going on. You know, we've got a word that we use to describe those kinds of cards, Christmas cards, birthday cards, Valentine's Day cards. We call those greeting cards. That's an interesting adjective, isn't it? Greeting cards. Because a greeting, what's a greeting? A greeting is a hello. When you greet somebody, you say hello to them. And, and that's, I think, what makes those cards so special for us on holidays, and especially for Christmas, is, is somebody saying hello, somebody you haven't seen in a year, or heard from in a year. Somebody is sending you a card to say hello. And there is something, I think, about the holidays that causes us to want to get in touch with people. I, I do this just about every Thanksgiving or Christmas. You know, while Mary Alice is working on the meal, I sit in my chair. Now, ladies, if, when your husband turns 40, he's going to have a chair that he sits in. It's just part of life, growing old. But I, I get in my chair with my cell phone, and I just start thinking of people to call, people I haven't talked to in a long time, pastor friends, leaders around the country who are good friends of mine. So I'll just sit in the chair and call people all during the morning to say, Happy Thanksgiving or Merry Christmas. There's just something about the season that makes us want to greet people. We want to reach out and touch people, and we love it when people reach out and touch us. Months ago, when I was reading the Christmas story one day and came up with the idea for the series, I was amazed at how many times in the Christmas story, in fact, I'd never really focused on it like this before, I, I was amazed at how many times God reached out and greeted the earth with a message. It was just as if God was coming along using an angel to say hello. It, it was cool how many times he said hello to people, and one of the things that I haven't talked about a lot in this series, and maybe won't talk about a lot, but I find it interesting. Almost every time God showed up to say hello, he always told people not to be afraid. You'll see that today. And, and so I just, I love that. And in fact, I'm going to cherry pick. I'm not talking about Mary today. I'm going to be talking about Mary in, in a few weeks, and that's my favorite sermon of the series because it's about miracles. But in the message to Mary, the angel goes to her and says, greetings. There's our word. Season's greetings. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. God saying hello. Interrupting people's normalcy, at times painful normalcy. There's a song we sing here at New Spring. 
The song is written by David Crowder, and the title of the song is How He Loves Me. And every time we sing that song, there's a particular lyric that always snags my attention. And it's one of my favorite lyrics that we ever sing here. Here's what it says. It says, and heaven meets earth with an unforeseen kiss. You remember singing that lyric? And heaven meets earth with an unforeseen kiss. That's the story of Christmas. God came along to people like Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men and a guy we're going to meet today. And God just showed up and heaven met earth with an unforeseen kiss. The problem that we have here on this earth is there are a lot of problems on earth. And God comes along from time to time and heaven intersects earth with a message. And this series is about five times in which God interrupts that normal life with a message that's life-changing. I preach this today because I think we need that today. I have the privilege, the distinct privilege of pastoring this great church. And now well over 6,000 people meet here every weekend. And I meet so many New Springers. And one of the things that I discover is that there are many of you, and you're trying very hard. You're trying to be good parents. You're trying to be good friends. You're trying to be good neighbors. You're trying to be good employees. You're trying to be good husbands and good wives. And more than that, so many of you are trying to be good God followers. I believe you're trying very hard. You wouldn't be at New Spring. I mean, you'd find some easier church to be part of. But I hear so many stories about people having difficult times. I visited a young man yesterday in the hospital before the four, four o'clock service last night who's 20 years old, a super, super young man who's wrestling with a surprising cancer that's come in his body, and now he's going through treatments and he's facing surgery. I left that hospital, went to another hospital where a new spring young wife and mom is wrestling with an illness and just can't seem to get better. And some of us are dealing with other issues. Some of us are dealing with emotional crises in our lives and some with relationship issues and some with parenting issues. Am I wrong or do we need to get a message from heaven? Am I wrong or do we need one of those unforeseen kisses from heaven coming? And so as I give you this series about the Christmas story, I want to share with you four, five times when God greeted earth. Because I think we need that today. The holidays are bearing down. This is the first time I could ever remember in all the 28 years I've been pastor here. This is the first time I can ever remember starting the Christmas series before Thanksgiving. But I just needed to. We, we got five messages and there just aren't enough weekends before Christmas Eve. But I, I look at the holiday season bearing down on us. Thanksgiving this week and Christmas coming. For many of us, the holidays, they're a challenge. I'm thinking about a couple, three reasons. Maybe you're thinking of more than that. But the three reasons why I'm thinking about it is, first of all, the holidays can be a challenge because many of us are just stress, stressed out. We're busy. I've always told you that my issue in life is anxiety. I've never hid that from you, and I've actually preached series about it. I always figured if I told you my faults when you found them out, it wouldn't be a surprise. <laughs> but honestly, I wrestle with anxieties, no doubt about it. So I read everything I can read on the subject of anxieties. I'm reading a great book right now by a psychologist, and, and just try on for size what he said. I, it, it caught my attention. He said the human body, the human person, was never meant to be as busy as we are today. He said, life as we're living it right now, life was never meant, we, we were never meant for that kind of life. And I think he's right. With communication that we have today and technology, I don't know how your world works, but I know how my world works. I'm never off. 
Seven days a week, 24 hours a day, I have that phone. Even I remember going to Hawaii and all day long in Maui, answering phone calls and solving problems. I love what I do, and you guys know that. I mean, my job is the greatest job in the world. I'm addicted to it. It's narcotic, and it's not the pressure that you put on me. You guys are so good to me, but it's the pressure that I put on myself. Anyone else like that here today? Let me be honest with you. There's nobody here today but you and me and the television cameras. And so, the <laughs> fact of the matter is, I'm going to have to figure out how to carve out Thanksgiving, no pun intended. I'm going to have to figure out how to make it work. I mean, Christmas for me, I will have just finished eight or nine services. And, and I'm, not, I'm, not saying how, I'm not saying that for any other reason except to say, I think there are a lot of us who deal with this. How many of us, the holidays, are more of a stress than they are a time of relaxation. And then for some, the second reason why the holidays can be difficult is pain because you've gone through some loss. Maybe the loss of a relationship, the loss of a family member. I was reading a blog, or I saw a blog post this week from a pastor, a young pastor. I don't know him personally. We have a lot of mutual friends. His name is Levi Lusco, and he wrote a blog that said, the title said, I'm scared of Christmas. Well, I thought that's an interesting thing to say. But he wrote, for the last year, I've been dreading the end of the fall because I knew it would signal the start of the Christmas season. Christmas is always a force to be reckoned with. On a normal year, it approaches with the subtlety and restraint of a runaway locomotive. Well, when I read on a normal year, I thought, oh, for some reason, this hasn't been a normal year for the Luskas. And at that point, I jumped over the rest of the blog, and I looked at a little explanatory comment at the bottom. And it said this, that... Their five-year-old daughter, Linya, died suddenly last year after a severe asthma attack. And then I thought, now I understand why he's scared of Christmas. Let me read to you a little more. The truth is, he writes, every holiday has been difficult this year. These days are when the pain of Linya's absence is exaggerated. We miss her every day. But on days when you would always be together or have special traditions, the ache just gets a little bit louder. We know that Christmas will be very hard. She went to heaven on December 20th. And we celebrated her life and had her funeral on December the 26th. And now I understand why Levi said, I'm scared of Christmas. Anybody else here scared of Christmas? Maybe you just have lost a love of them. This will be the first Christmas in my lifetime without my dad here. But I think there's a third reason why the holidays can be hard, and it's what I want to talk about today. There's an interesting juxtaposition that many of us experience during this holiday season because we're presented all these images of the holidays, and yet we have what we have going on in our lives. And because people want to sell us something, and, and so much of our retail year depends on the holiday season, because people want to sell us something, they present to us images of the holidays that are so very perfect. I mean, if you're looking at a commercial for food or wine or gifts this time of the year, isn't it true at the commercials show, magnificent homes, people all dressed up, very good-looking people sitting around this magnificent Norman Rockwell-esque table. You know, and when there's somebody giving a gift, it's always this guy with stars in his eyes who's gone to the jewelry store to buy this beautiful necklace or ring, and he just, like, presents it to her, and you want to say, oh, it just makes me want to throw up. And what makes it so saccharine for us is that most of our lives just don't work that way. But the pressure of these, of these perfect images 
and what we have actually going on in our lives, it can actually begin to make us wonder, well, have I been forgotten? I mean, is this what everybody else experiences? Everybody else has got this perfect holiday season going on, and I'm living in this, in this twilight zone. Maybe God has forgotten me. And this is especially challenging if, as I said a few moments ago, you really are trying, as I believe most of us are. I mean, does it ever, does it ever bother you? You're trying, and, and yet you see other people that seem to have everything together, and you're thinking, wow, you know, that person's got a wonderful relationship, but my relationship's on the rocks. That person has kids that are perfect, but my kids don't get along with me. I mean, that person has a career that's meaningful, but I have a hard time getting up in the morning and going to work. And, and if God is for me and God cares about me, did God just lose my email address? Did God lose my number? Does God, does God not know my address? Would it surprise you to find out that the very first Christmas greeting that went out from God went out to an old guy who felt forgotten. I just couldn't get away from that. The first Christmas card didn't go to Mary. We saw Mary got a greeting from God. The first Christmas card didn't go to Joseph. It didn't go to the wise men or the shepherds. The first Christmas card went to an old guy who felt like life had passed him by. I want to take you to the Gospel of Luke. You know there are four books in the Bible that are the stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these four books all present the story of Jesus. And so you could wonder, well, it's just, is God just being redundant? But no, all four of the Gospels present Jesus in a different light. Matthew presents Jesus with the right to be king, king of the Jews. Mark presents Jesus as the servant of mankind. John presents Jesus as the son of God. But Luke, Luke presents Jesus as human. And I love the book of Luke. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible, if not my favorite, because Luke is a doctor. And, and being a doctor, he writes all these interesting details about the things that were... I mean, for one thing, Luke is the one who tells us about all the women in the story of Jesus. Luke tells us about so many ladies. I always wonder, was he a gynecologist or was he an obstetrician? <laughs> but I'm so thankful because he shares with us all these wonderful stories And so when you look at the birth of Jesus, there's more in the gospel of Luke than in any other. What you should also know, though, as we get ready to go into Luke's story of Jesus coming into our world, is that there have been 400 years of silence. Whenever you hold a Bible in your lap, you're holding a book that has two two parts. There is the Old Testament or the Old Covenant that begins with the book of Genesis and ends with the minor prophet Malachi. And then you turn that blank page, and then there's the page that says New Testament, and then boom, you're right into Matthew. Now, it can look, that, look like Matthew came right after Malachi, but something very peculiar happens between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And Bible students have found it interesting through the years. It's called the intertestament period, or most of us who study the Bible call it the years of silence. It's just like for 400 years, heaven goes silent. And there's reason for that. God's people, Israel, have so flipped God off that God has basically let them go into captivity. They've gone into captivity to the Babylonians and to the Medes and the Persians and the Chaldeans and and finally the Greeks. And all that time has been silent. Now, guys, let me tell you this, and I don't want to get into a history lesson today, but if you want to understand the Bible, if you want to understand the Christmas story, and even if you want to understand end-time prophecy of things yet to come, there is one fact that you must grasp. In fact, if you want to understand the Bible, there is one central fact. God has a promise to David, King David, that one day one of his descendants will be on the throne forever. So the Jewish people understood that. 
There was a working promise that a descendant of King David would be on the throne forever. But here's the problem. Israel has gone into captivity. Judah's gone into captivity. There have been no kings for 500 years. And in that period of silence between Malachi and Matthew, nothing has happened. And many of the Jewish people have lost their faith. Many of them no longer believe in the promises of God. Because after all, if there's supposed to be a descendant on the throne who is a descendant of King David, then where is he? And there are no kings. I don't know if you're, if you're in a relationship, if you've been in a relationship or not. But any of you guys ever have like a conflict in your relationship and then you just like give each other the silent treatment? I guess not. <laughs> well, Mary Ellis and I are not completely sanctified yet, I guess. Because every once in a while, very rarely, it's like we're having a discussion. And we will explore all the creative tension in that discussion. And then we'll like just be silent. Like I say, it doesn't happen very often, but it just happens every once in a while. It's like we've just said, we both said everything we have to say, and it just goes silent. Now, if you're, in, if you're at the house, it's no problem because you can just kind of like go to your corners and tell you, think it through. But what's really funny is when you're traveling on a long road trip <laughs> and you're both in the front seat and like you, the other person's there, but it's like, isn't it funny how many miles can go? Oh, you're just being silent. You know what has to happen in the silent treatment? And I can see since none of y'all have experienced this, I'm going to have to tell you. <laughs> what has to happen when two people are giving each other silent treatment? But I'm not talking about marriage today, but if you're married today, you need to listen to me because if you ever have this moment, this will be beneficial. Somebody's got to break the silence. And not just with an I'm sorry. See, that's the problem. There's a lot of stuff I'm sorry won't fix because the problem is you have a conflict. And one of the best things that can happen when there's a silent treatment going on is for somebody to break the silence with a plan whereby everybody can win. And if somebody can break the silence with that kind of plan, usually it's broken. And that's what exactly had to happen here. There was 400 years of silence, and God broke the silence with a plan where everybody would win. And it wasn't a new plan. It was an old plan because from Genesis chapter 3, God had promised that he would send his son into the world. Well... With that in mind, let's go to the Gospel of Luke and let's read the story. Luke said, I've decided to write a careful account for you so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. Now, I'm just telling you a story as I said a moment ago. If I'm going to write the story of Jesus, I'm going to start with Mary or Joseph or the shepherds or Jesus himself. But Luke says, I want to write to you the story. And he, first of all, tells us about this guy named Zechariah who was a priest. He was a member of the order of Abijah, he said. His wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes. I like this next word, careful, careful. They weren't careless. Careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. Now, you need to know that the fact that Zechariah was a priest didn't make him a celebrity in town. There were 18,000 of them. Well, what might stand out to you is if, if we talked about the years of silence and how a lot of people lost their faith. There were a lot of people in the priesthood about the time that Jesus was born They didn't believe in the afterlife anymore. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the supernatural. Primarily why a lot of guys were priests was it allowed them to live lives of luxury. The temple required a temple tax, so there was a lot of cash 
in the temple. And so there were guys who were priests in order to live that kind of luxurious lifestyle. A lot of them lived in palatial homes. But not Zechariah. He, was, he stood out in, the, in regard to the fact that he didn't live this luxurious life, and he still believed the promises of God, and he still was faithful. And not only that, there was sort of a silence in their own life because they didn't have any kids. Let me just say this today. This is one of the most important things I'll say. I am convinced in the road that every one of us takes, there's going to be a fork in that road at some moment where we are careful to follow God, but God doesn't seem to remember us anymore. You're, going, you're trying, and yet things are not working. What you do when you reach that why in the road will ultimately tell the story of your destiny because that's where faith is built. Faith is built when we have confidence in God and things don't seem to be working out. And there is Zechariah. I mean, he could honestly ask the question, why are Elizabeth and I still trying? Not only are we living conservative lives, not only do we still believe in God, but now after all doing this, we don't have any descendant to follow us. Well, let's read. One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. Now that's one sentence, but those are two very different statements. The first part of that is priest every week did this job. This is a very common thing for them to take their turn doing service. But the part of burning incense in the temple, that was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It just fell, the lot fell on Zechariah to be able to go into the temple. Now, the temple has got an inner chamber that's divided into two rooms. The back room is the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. Only one priest, the high priest, could go in there and only one day a year. Zechariah has never been in that part. He will never be in that part. But the front chamber of the holy, of holy place is the place where the altar of incense is. And this will be the only time in his life he will ever be there. And he goes in there to burn incense. Now, while Zechariah, verse 11, is in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing in the light uh, at the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. Now, if you're wondering who this baby is, he will be John. We call him John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. His role will be to announce Jesus to the world. So he needs to be just a few months older, which he is. And then he goes on. The angel says to Zechariah, you'll have great joy and gladness in this kid, and he's going to turn many people to God. It's interesting to me that the silence is broken. The New Testament begins with the angel coming to say, hello, Zechariah. I've got news for you. After all these years of being faithful, you and your wife are going to have a baby. Well, Zechariah's an old guy, and so he's struggling with this. And so he's basically saying to the angel, I'm not sure you're telling me the truth. Now look at this. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I love the diplomacy of Zechariah. Husbands, pay attention. You can learn a lot here. Okay? Zechariah said, I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. <laughs> is he a smart man or a smart man? He's been around the track a few times. He's saying to the angel, look, I, I, how can this, I'm old, and, and my wife is along in years. Now, <laughs> we don't get to hear too many things that reveal the personality of angels, but this to me is one of the most interesting places because basically Zechariah has just challenged Gabriel's veracity. He's challenging his truth. And so Gabriel basically is going to tell Zechariah now that he is not a backbencher, that he is not an angel who sets up in the bleachers. Listen to Gabriel. The angel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he, God, 
who sent me to bring you this good news. But since you didn't believe and you asked me for a sign, I'll give you a sign. You won't talk for nine months. That'd be tough for any of us, but for a preacher, it'd be really tough. Now, the rest, I'm going to read you the rest of the story just so you won't be curious the rest of the day. It has absolutely nothing to do with the sermon, but I just want you to read the rest of the story. This is when the baby was born. When the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. The family is there. I just want you to see families haven't changed at all in 2,000 years. The family wanted to name him Zachariah. I'm sure that was Zachariah's family, not Elizabeth's family. But the Zachariah's family said, boy, needs to be called Zachariah after his daddy, Zachariah Jr. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What? They exclaimed, there's no one in your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father. They didn't like Elizabeth's answer, so they go talk to Zechariah. Am I right or wrong, ladies? Things haven't changed in 2,000 years. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. He, he motioned for a writing tablet, and to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. Zechariah's already had one experience with an angel. He's not going to freelance. <laughs> and instantly, Zechariah could speak, and he began praising God. I just want you to see that the Christmas story, the New Testament begins by God showing up to greet an old person who felt like God had forgotten him. And now I want to leave the first century, and I want to go to the 21st century. I want to talk to you and me. Because I think you and I can sometimes begin to wonder if God has forgotten us. Or, or maybe this is the better question. Just how much attention is God paying to me? You know, I've had people through the years say to me, Mark, I just wonder sometimes, is God so busy with his other children that he just doesn't have, he, he can't pay attention? You see, we think about God in terms of, of what we are with our limitations. And, and if you're here today and you, you're trying and, you're, and, and you're, you're wanting something to happen and it doesn't seem to be happening and you begin to wonder if God has lost your address or lost your phone number or he's lost contact with you, maybe you can feel like God has you on hold. Don't you hate to be on hold? You know, they make that speech to you, and I hate that speech. We're currently busy with other customers. If you'll just stay on the line, the next available agent will speak with you. And then there's the music, and what I really hate is the ads. Insult to injury. Not only am I on hold, they're going to try to sell me something. Is that how it is? Does God just have us on hold? I want to close out this message, and if you haven't learned to love Psalm 139, I hope you'll fall in love with it right now. Because Psalm 139 is all about one thing. How much attention is God paying to us? Now, here's the thing. If I ask that question, how much is God paying attention to me? I've got two ways of finding an answer. I can either go by what I feel. In other words, if I'm having fortuitous circumstances and God's paying lots of attention to me, if things are not going well for me, God's not looking at me. I can either go by experience or I can go by revelation. Revelation is what God says is true in his word. How many times, parents, have you had to tell your kids things that were true, but they didn't feel it was true at the moment? That's revelation. And in Psalm 139, there's a whole beautiful psalm. I think about it almost every day. There's a whole beautiful psalm about this one thing. How much attention is God paying to us? In the very few moments I have left today, I want to just share some of this psalm with you because if you feel like God has forgotten you, maybe this will encourage you today. David begins to write, Oh Lord, you have searched me. You, you've made a study of me is what he is saying. The, the word is for someone who's mining for precious metal. Oh Lord, you've searched me. You know me. You know when I sit and when I stand. 
How many of us at the end of this day will be able to give a detailed account of how many times we sat down, how many times we stood up, and when we did it? Now, I have ADD, so I probably sit down and stand up more than the average person. But I have never had a day of my life when I've kept track of that. Now, some of you who are obsessive compulsive, now that I brought it up, you will keep track of that today, and you will know, at least from now on. But I, I read that. God, David is saying, God, you are watching me so closely. You know every time I stand up, you know every time I sit down. When I was writing this message this week, I sat down and I thought, that means God knows me better than I know me. You ready for this? Watch this. It means God is paying more attention to me than I am paying to myself. When I thought that, I don't usually get emotional. I got very emotional as I sat there and looked at that verse. Because I said, God, you must love me very much. You would have to love somebody very much to watch every time they sit down and every time they stand up. You ever see a guy in love? You ever just see him just watch the galleys in love with? Everything she does is wonderful. They're in a restaurant. He just sits and looks at her. You know, and then you get a post from him on Facebook. You know, he took a picture of her. She's ordering pizza. <laughs> Isn't she wonderful? That's sort of the feeling I get from God here. I mean, God is like making a study of us and watching us every moment. And in, in, in verse 2, God does things for us that we, we can't even do for ourselves. He said, you perceive my thoughts from afar. In other words, you know what I'm going to be thinking about Tomorrow at 12.19, I don't even know what the questions of tomorrow at 12.19 are. God knows what I'm going to be thinking tomorrow. He's into my thoughts. He discerns my going out when I leave in the morning and my lying down when I come back to sleep at night. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. A lot of you are very normal. And so maybe the next line will not mean to you what it means to me. Hands down, my favorite line from Psalm 139 is in verse 3, where David says, you are familiar with all my ways. I've always just been a little strange. I've always had a strange sense of humor. I've never felt, I mean, I can be around a lot of other pastors. I've never been the quintessential pastor. I'm just different. My imagination is different. Most pastors don't do series with monsters on stage or spaceships. And my ways can be quirky. You know what I read when I read that? It's got to say, Mark, I know your ways. I know how you are. I know what makes you happy. I know what makes you sad. I know why you get excited. I know why you get depressed. I know why you're up one moment and down the next. And I know the stuff that you just can't ever seem to get right. I'm acquainted with your ways. I am the most blessed man in the world. I've been fortunate to have the love of thousands of people. But do you know what means most to me? Listen, please. The people whose love means most to me is the people who love me anyway. It's the people who know me and love me. You only know me at my best. Mary Alice has known me every day pretty much since I was 16 and she was 14. And she loves me anyway. My kids know me 
with all my failures. They love me anyway. The people who work with me, who are so good to me, they know all my idiosyncrasies, and they love me anyway. Your God knows everything about you. He knows things about you that you don't know yet. He remembers things about you you don't remember, and yet he loves you anyway. He said, I'm acquainted with all your ways. I know your idiosyncrasies, God is saying. I, I know you. In verse 5, he says, you go before me and follow me. You place your hand a blessing on my head. Verse 13, we should rethink abortion when we read this verse. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Look at this. These are two powerful statements. David says, every day of my life was recorded in your book. And then he says, every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts toward me, O God. Before you were ever born, God knew every day of your life. He knew every moment of your life. Is God paying attention to you? Wow, is he paying attention to you. Even when it doesn't feel like it. Maybe even especially when it doesn't feel like it. I'll leave you today with two prayers. Because if you're like me sometimes and you wonder why, even though you're trying very much to do the right thing, why life doesn't seem to work out. And maybe today very specifically because of something that's going on in your life. I want to leave you with two prayers since God knows you so well. The first one is from the end of Psalm 139. And if you grew up in church like I did, chances are you may have even sung a song that's based on these two verses. David wrote, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, and I love this, and know my anxious thoughts. In other words, David is praying to God, God, look inside me and look at the things that scare me. Let me just say that one more time. David is saying, God, look at the things that scare me. What scares you? What are you frightened of today? David is saying, look, God, open me up and look honestly at the things that frighten me and then lead me in the right way. What David is saying, I think, and I haven't said this in the other four services, but what David is saying, I think, is, God, my fears can keep me from taking the right path. Don't let my fears screw me up. Don't let my anxieties put me on the wrong path. Don't let me have the, the fear that I won't have a relationship cause me to get into a relationship with the wrong person. God, don't let my anxieties about money cause me to do unwise and foolish things. God, look inside me and see my anxious thoughts and then lead me in the right way. The second prayer I want to give you is from that old song we sang a few moments ago. If you were here last weekend, I shared with you that when two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus, that he's here. And I believe he's here today, don't you? Jesus is here. I'm not just talking about God. We're talking about Jesus is here. And I'm not sure why the author wrote or what occasion caused the author to write past me not, but I'm guessing that it was based on Bartimaeus in the Bible, who was blind, and Jesus was passing by. And it would be the last time Jesus would pass by because he was on his way to be crucified. And whether or not Bartimaeus knew that or not, I don't know. But I know he began to cry out for Jesus. And they tried to get him to be quiet. Shut up. You're bothering. You're a nuisance. 
Oh, but when somebody is desperate to connect with Jesus, you can't get that person to shut up. Some of us are there today. We're desperate. And the prayer, you've already sung it today. But considering the fact that Jesus is here, why don't you pray that prayer of that song? Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While on others you are calling, while you're touching others here today, don't, don't pass me by. Don't pass me by. Don't pass my marriage by. Don't pass my kids. Don't pass me by. If you feel forgotten today, you're not. One more thing before I close, and I don't think I can leave the service today without saying to you that God loves you so much that the plan that he came to institute with Jesus coming into our world was to forever take your sins off your back. Because see, here's the deal. If we leave our sins there, they'll drag us to hell. Mine will, yours will. God didn't want anybody to go to hell. He put his son on a cross. He brutalized his own son. Made him an offering for sin. So that after Jesus ran the table and lived a perfect life, he could hang on a cross and pay for our sins. So that anyone, no matter what you've done or what you will do in the future, anyone who by faith reaches out to Jesus, the Bible tells us we can be forgiven and restored and made right. And while we're talking about Jesus passing by and saying, not, Lord, don't pass me by, if you've never really committed your life to Christ, I'm not talking about religion. I'm not asking you to join New Spring. I'm asking you to reach out to Jesus by faith. And I'm going to pray a prayer with you. And if you want to, you can pray it with me. These aren't magic words. These are just words that call out to Jesus because here's what the Bible says. Romans 10, 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You say, Mark, you don't know what I've done. I know what whoever means. I know what whoever means. It means you. It means me. Would you pray with me, please? Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I just can't seem to get things right. But your word says that you're acquainted with all my ways. You know me. I believe Jesus came into our world and he died for my sin and he arose from the grave. I believe he's here today. And by faith I reach out. I ask you to be my God. I ask Jesus to be my Savior. Thank you for forgiving me, making me God's child. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just pray with me, I hope you don't leave the service today without getting a gift. I want to give you a gift. And in this gift, it's a DVD and a book that will help you answer a lot of questions. And if you just prayed to receive Christ, would you come back to guest services back in the lobby or back by the coffee shop and just say, I pray with Mark. No, no agenda. Just say, I pray with Mark. And you won't leave without it. May God bless you. Thank you very much. Next week we'll talk about the wise men.